The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Morning, Mountain Park. How are you? It's good to be with you this morning. My name is uh, Mark Krenz, and uh, I've been a pastor here in the state in different ways uh, for the last 10 years, and I'm glad to be with you here this morning with my wife, Shannon, and our four daughters. I have four daughters, so can I get a sympathy um, uh, clap? Yeah, sympathy clap right now. Uh, They are between the ages of five and 11, and they are being well taken care of in the children's area. So, man, they need some volunteers there. Let's go. Let's step it up, Mountain Park. Let's uh, take care of those Take care of those kids so that parents like us can enjoy worship here on a Sunday. It's so good to, to be with you and to have this opportunity to speak. Um, I know this is, uh, the summer's coming to an end, and, and you guys didn't get to go anywhere this weekend. What's up with that? You guys are stuck here, but I'm glad this is not being stuck. This is a great place to be. We were uh, traveling this past week with our family, and we, came, uh, we were in Oklahoma City. And uh, you know, there, it's, it's the same temperature as here, but it's like... 80% humidity, 100% humidity, so it felt good coming back to the, the cool Arizona summer. Um, we drove with our family in a van. There's all, you know, four of our girls and us, and then we also had our dogs along, and so it was kind of crazy driving. So, um, But it's summer, and it's good to be here. It's good to be in this place and to worship and to turn our attention to what God has for us and, and what he wants to say, and, and it is really great to be among you. It's been several years since I've gotten to, to the privilege of speaking here before. I'm, I'm uh, good friends with Alan. I've known Alan for, for many years. We were actually roommates together in seminary uh, approaching 20 years ago, and so that seems like a really long time. We lived in a dump of a house just off of campus for a time, and, and that was a lot of fun. And, um, and actually, Alan and Tammy have a significant place in, in mine and Shannon's relationship because Alan was getting married in Cincinnati. We were in Indiana at the time, and he invited us to go to the, uh, me to go to the wedding along with some others, and I had just met this girl, Shannon, and I thought, what a great way to have a cheap date. You take her to a wedding, and I did not realize the significance. I was told later that you don't take somebody on a first date to a wedding, um, so I'm glad it worked out well for us. We are actually married now 17 years and, uh, and enjoying life together, so that is always kind of a special bond between us and, and remembering Alan and Tammy's wedding, but, but I don't need to tell you, you have a tremendous pastor, and Alan is a tremendous leader and a one of the church's best communicators, and you are privileged every week to hear him share here and to guide you guys as a church, and, and I'm so excited to see what is happening here at, uh, at Mountain Park over these past 10 years. And I hear you got a big change coming up. Is, is that right? Something? Uh, a big move? Uh, I saw the plans for the, for the building and what you guys are looking um, at doing, and I got to tell you, I am... I mean, that is awesome. That is an awesome facility, and what a great location and the impact that you guys are going to be able to have continuing to expand in this area, in this region. Man, it's tremendous. So I'm really excited for you and for, for that vision that you guys share together. Now, this morning, I do want to talk about visions. I want to talk about dreams. I want to talk about hopes and, and what God wants to do in our lives and how do, we, how do we accomplish and achieve those dreams and those hopes and those visions that God places in us. When you think about the building that you're building now, at some point it was a concept in someone's mind. It was, it was voiced by people and it was uh, brought together and eventually it was put on paper. And the paper started forming vision and then a video was made and some other things and plans are drawn up and eventually the work begins 
and we hold out for this hope that in a year from now, there is a building and there is going to be a physical place that's going to continue the mission and ministry of this church. And so we realize, though, that when, there, when there's a vision and a dream, there's many things that stand in the way, many obstacles that come. And we pray that those would be bowled over in the course of this next year, anything that would stand in the way of that. But what about in your life? What are the visions and the dreams and the hopes that you have for your life? And would you say that you are living those out right now? Are you living the dream and the hope that God has placed in you? You see, I worked with students for many years as a youth pastor, and one of the things I loved about working with with high schoolers especially was they seemed to think that the future had every possibility available to them. They could change the world. And as adults, sometimes we sit back and go, oh, that's just the naivete of youth. You know, event, you know, you have big hopes, you have big dreams, and, and maybe we applaud and we want you to, to go for it, but we realize soon enough as adults that, you know, life is going to just start happening. You're going to have school loans, maybe, fortunate if you don't. Maybe you're going to be paying a mortgage, and you have a family, and you've got a career, and you've got a job, and you don't get the entire summers off for vacation. You know, you actually only have a few weeks here. And all of a sudden, you're in the course of life, and those dreams and those visions and those hopes that you had, what happens to them? They just kind of fade away into the background. And what begins to happen is we start living in the shadow of the dream. And we can spend our entire lives living in the shadow of the dreams and the hopes that God has for us, and we just accept it as, that's just the way it is. I'm going to live in the shadow of the dream. So if the dream is shining bright, and it's the kind of future that you envision and that God maybe has placed in you, it's out there, it's shining, but there's something that's blocking you from experiencing that, and you are living in that shadow. What is that shadow that you're living in? What is the dream that you have? Fill in the blank. Someday I want to. Maybe it's past tense. You know, in the past it says, someday you were thinking, I wanted to. I once hoped to do this. Because we all have dreams and things that God places in us. Maybe it's grandiose to change the world, but maybe it's something more specific. I want to make a difference in this part of the country, in this part of the world, in this part of the community. Maybe it's a vision for a dream or for a a business, a dream that you have for for what could come from that. Maybe you want to write a book. I came across a statistic this past week that said 82% of people believe they have a book in them. 82% of people think, man, you know, if I could write a book on that or if I could tell that story, maybe I'd want to. And I don't know, that sounds kind of high, but maybe that's the case. But the reality is only 1%, 1%, 99% don't ever do it. Only 1% might ever actually take a step to writing a book. And we realize that there are dreams like that all the time. Maybe it's a dream to adopt. Maybe it's a dream, again, to, to, to start a nonprofit. Maybe it's just something that you've always wanted to do, a hobby you wanted to undertake. Other times our dreams are maybe more focused around uh, our life in the sense of what's the kind of marriage that you envision? that you want to experience if you're married and you're realizing we're just living in the shadow of that. We're not experiencing it. There's a severed relationship and you envision a future that could look different. And you think about these things or maybe it's a a change in a career path, an education, a degree. All these dreams and hopes, are you pursuing them? Are you experiencing them? And the crazy thing is, it seems like our world is set up in a way that things will come and keep us from experiencing those visions and dreams. Things step come in. And sometimes it's our own, it's, our, it's ourselves. We sabotage our own future. There's things that we just didn't do, we didn't follow through, and the dream fades away. Other times, the rug gets pulled out from under us. 
You get that diagnosis. You get that, that, you know, get that notice that your job is ending. You figure something out. And you go, what happened? The dream and hopes that we had are no longer there. Today, I don't want to talk about so much how do you dream, because I believe God has put a dream in us. I want to talk about how do we overcome the obstacles to the dreams, the things that are keeping us from literally experiencing all that God has for us and the life that, that, that God wants to bring us. Scripture says, I've come, Jesus said, I've come to give you life to the fullest. And that is, is, is the dream and the hope that, that God brings for us. And so today, I want to look at a story that has been very um, instrumental for me. It's something, a story in the Bible that really gives me a lot of courage and a lot of hope on how we can overcome those dreams, how we can stop living in the shadow of those dreams and overcome those obstacles. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the story. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time and this place, the space that we have set aside to turn our attention towards you and the words that you have for us. God, even as we sit here in this moment, remind us of that dream or stir in us the, the thing that we've put aside that we don't think can happen in our lives, but that you've spoken into us, God, that, that we would hold that front and center this morning as we enter your word and into your story. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wanted something so long that eventually you've just given up on it altogether? I mean, you've wanted and hoped for, but it just doesn't happen. See, as a kid, um, I, I, there's something I always wanted, a big wheel. Anyone else with me? Anyone? How many of you had a big wheel? You know what I'm talking about, big wheel? Big wheel up front, two, like a you know, glorified tricycle, wide wheels in the back. I mean, they made the commercials look so cool when I was a kid. You know, the kid would drive and ride it super fast, as fast as you can go. And then some, some of them had like a handbrake or, or you'd pull the brake, turn the wheel, and you'd skid around, right? And then you'd, you know, just be so much fun. And I never got one. And I always wanted one for years. And eventually, you know what? I just gave up on that dream altogether. Any sympathy? I bear my heart, a painful childhood memory. You know, and so I never had a big wheel, never got one. But, you know, the funny thing was I shared the story um, a, a while ago and, uh, at my church, and, and then Christmas came around, and um, all of a sudden, after, during the service, between the break or afterwards, they brought out a box, this big old box, and they had me unwrap it. And of course, you guys know what was in the box, right? I got my own big wheel. At 43 years old, I finally got the big wheel. And so I've waited so long, but I finally got it, right? And I went home that day, and, and right after church, didn't eat lunch, I started unpacking it. I started assembling it. I felt like I was a little kid again. And you know, I finished it off, put the big flag, you know, the pole with the flag on it, and my girls were chomping at the bit to try to ride this thing. I was like, no, this is dad's Big wheel, I'm sorry, this is not your dream, this is my dream. I get the first ride, and then I took it on the street, and I rode it down the neighborhood right in the middle of the street, and I rode that thing like a boss. I'm telling you, it was awesome and skidding out. So see, sometimes we have to wait a long time to, to experience what the promise is and the hope that we had. And, and I want to talk about the story in, in the Old Testament where people were waiting and living in the shadow of the dream, not just for a year not just for 10 or 20 or 40, but for 600 years. Imagine living in the shadow of a dream for 600 years. And now this is not just an individual, obviously. This is an entire nation that had a hope and a promise of a promised land. You see, Abraham, Father Abraham, right? In the Old Testament, this, this, this well-known um, historical figure, of Father Abraham, the, he was the father of a people, and God gave him a vision and a promise that there would be a land that you would have where, where you can be my people and where you can settle and where you can flourish. And it was called a place of rest. 
The promised land was to be a place of rest where from all their wanderings and from all of their, their seeking, they could settle and be a people, but they'd never gotten there. It took them years and years, and, and, and through the story of the Old Testament, they deviated and, and, and ended up in Egypt where they were in slavery for, for 400 years. And yet that promise loomed out there. There's this promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of bounty and goodness. And and it just became maybe almost like this illusion that they would never reach. I mean, they were caught in slavery. How in the world could they accomplish that? Well, and then all of a sudden, Charlton Heston shows up on the scene. (laughs) And Moses, (laughs) Moses goes before Pharaoh and says, let my people go, right? I mean, and finally he releases them and and, and they, they go and now... They cross through the Red Sea miraculously. And you know where are they going? They're on their way to the promised land. This would be the moment after years and years of waiting for the promise, they would get to experience that this was the generation. And here they come through the desert. They wander. They get to the edge of this Jordan River. And as they approach the edge of the Jordan River, on the other side is the city of Jericho and is the promised land. After all these years, here's their moment. Here's their opportunity. No longer are they going to live in the shadow of this promise. They are going to seize this opportunity. And what happens? Moses sends out some spies. They come back and they say, it is a good land. But there's giants there and there's obstacles there. And Jericho is this fortified city that's right on the other side. And we've been slaves for many years. We don't know how to take this. And doubt and discouragement set in. And all of a sudden, they are forced to turn around and head back into the desert For how many years? 40 years of wandering. Can you imagine being that close to experiencing the dream and the promise and then having the door slammed shut? Some of us have been there in life. You've gone after that adoption. You've gone through the process. You've gone through that paperwork. And all of a sudden, you get to the end and the door slams shut. And how hard is it to think again about, will this ever happen? And it's easy for us just to write it off and say, it may never be. Well, for 40 years, they wander. That generation dies off. And now a new generation comes back to the border of the promised land. They come back to the Jordan. And who is leading them now? It's Moses' protege, his apprentice, Joshua. And Joshua takes the lead. Joshua takes the reins. And as we look at the story, we're going to look at the first four chapters in in Joshua. But as the story begins, Joshua, you know, has this conversation with God, getting ready to take the promised land. And these famous words are spoken to Joshua by God. It says, Joshua, be strong, and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. And you kind of got to think, why does he have to be strong and courageous? Why, God, why do you keep telling me that? <laughs> do you know something that I don't know? Taking the promise, is, the land isn't just going to fall in their lap. It's going to require strength when you're ready to give up. It's going to require courage when you have doubt and when you don't think it's going to happen. So Joshua, I need you to be strong and courageous because you need to know I am with you. Your strength and courage is going to come from me. And so Joshua is pumped up. He's ready to go. I kind of picture Mel Gibson, right, in Braveheart. Crazy hair, riding a horse, blue face paint. And he's going back and forth in front of the troops, riding his horse. And he's saying, they may take our lives, but they may never take what? Our freedom! Right? And, he's fi- and I can see Joshua firing up the troops. We're going to do this. But here's the problem. There's a river. There's a raging river in front of him, overflowing its banks. The other side is this occupied land, the city of Jericho, and the territory is there. And so he doesn't do that quite yet. He realizes before we take the promised land, we got to figure out how do we overcome the obstacles. Because the promised land isn't empty. 
Did that ever strike you as you think about that story? God didn't just set aside this parcel of land that was there and and he just waited for 600 years and said, okay, now you're ready. Now here you go, you get this plot, you get this plot. It was occupied, not only by the king of Jericho on the other side, the double-walled city, but by 31 kings. 31 kings occupied that promised land and they were gonna have to fight for it and they were gonna have to be guided through that. And so when you think about the dreams and the hopes that you have, it's gonna take some effort. You know, you're applying for a position. Well, you know what? There may be 31 other people applying for that same job. There's obstacles in a way. There's things that stand between us and the promise and the hope that we have. And it's going to take effort and it's going to take work. But you know what the crazy thing is? It's often the first obstacle that takes us out of the running for the dream. It's the first obstacle that knocks us out. Let me give you an example. You make a commitment. You say, I'm going to start working out. I'm going to start going to the gym, and you're just, you're ready. In your mind, you know it. This is what you want to do, and your body's going to change, and you're going to go through this process. And so you say, tomorrow, I'm going to the gym. There's your vision, and you see what you're going to do. This is your first step. The alarm goes off at 6 a.m., and you hit snooze. You're facing big obstacles here, the snooze bar. You're facing another big obstacle, another king, and it's your pillow. It's so, why does it seem extra soft at 6 a.m.? And why do the comforters, the covers just seem extra cozy today? And I did stay up a little bit later last night, and I do need a little bit extra rest, and I'll start another day. And so before we ever even began, we've knocked out of the dream and knocked out of the running. And so as as Joshua and the Israelites approach this promised land, this time, what are they going to do? Are they going to embrace and seize this? How are they going to overcome the obstacles? Or are they going to turn away? Because the Jordan River, as it says, was not just there, it was overflooding its banks. Now, you guys know something about flooding, right? I understand. <laughs> we hear here in Arizona, right, during the monsoon season, warnings all the time. What can happen in just a few inches of water, right? It can sweep the car away. Don't drive through it. Well, imagine leading an entire nation of people. Many, many years ago, there wasn't a bridge, there wasn't a boat, there weren't motorized vehicles. How do you lead the livestock and the people and the kids and the wagons across not just a river, but a river that's overflowing its banks. Maybe they would just turn around again this time. But Joshua said no. Joshua knew this was the promise they were not going to mess up this opportunity. So what does Joshua do? Let's look at Joshua chapter 2. I want to look at a few verses as we move along here to see how does this maybe relate to us. How do we overcome the obstacles? Well, the first thing that Joshua did is he began to face them head on. He faced his obstacle and his biggest challenge head-on. So what did he do? Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia. He instructed them, spy out the land on the other side of the Jordan River. So what does he do? He sends them out, and he says, spy out this land, because uh, we, i got to know what I'm getting into. i got to know what's ahead of us. And then, he, and then it says on, especially around Jericho, so the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Joshua's got to be going, really? I send out two spies. You have one job to do. Go across the river, spy out the land, and where do they end up? Okay, it's not as it seems. It's, uh, they got some valuable information from Rahab, and she plays an important part in the story. But Joshua understood God doesn't just drop things into our lap. Now, there are moments God miraculously works beyond our wildest dreams, and, and we hadn't even thought about it. But when God places something there in front of us, there's a part on our end where we need to begin to understand, what's it going to take? What's the first step? How do I break that down? I want to get a degree, and I want to retool myself. Well, what are the steps that I need to do? I want to write a book. Well, what's the first step I need to do? How do I start this process? 
right? I want to, I want to you know, restore my marriage in some way. How do, how do I do that? What are, what are the steps I need to take? You need to survey the land. And Moses, uh, and Joshua just begins. He just starts, and he says, I'm going to face this thing head on. Well, then he continues. And let's look at Joshua 2, 8 to 11. The next thing here is that when, he's, when he hears the report back from the spies, what's really interesting is he's kind of given an insight as to what's happening on the other side of the Jordan. He gets some intel, and it's pretty important. I think it's pretty powerful. So before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things, for the Lord your God is the the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. So in case you got lost in that passage, what's happening here is Rahab tells them, look, we may be in a fortified city, we may have armies, there may be a river between us, but what you need to know is our people have lost heart and courage. They saw what happened 40 years ago when God led the people through the Red Sea. And they saw how you've defeated some kings, and, and so we, they just don't have the courage to fight. Now, what's significant about that? Joshua on the other side and the people of Israel on the other side of the Jordan River are not aware of this. All we see is the obstacle. All they see is the, the challenge in front of us. But we get a little glimpse, a little insight that this is so important for us. God is at work ahead of us. This is so powerful for me. God is ahead at work ahead of us, even if we don't see it, even if we don't know it, even if we kind of go, how is this even going to happen? God may be doing something on the other side, right? Maybe you're looking for a job. There may be some people already that you don't even know who are kicking around your name, who are looking at a resume or finding out information. You have no clue. You think you're at a dead end, but God may already be stirring something. As a pastor for many years, I've had the privilege of sometimes being that connector, where I have somebody on one side saying I have great need and I don't know what, where it's going to come from or how God's going to work. And then I have another person talking to me saying, hey, there's something I'd like to do for somebody or here's something I have available. And it's always like this cool thing of like, hey, we can bring these two people together. They don't know that God is already orchestrating. They don't know that God's already orchestrating something. But God works ahead of us to help us in the dreams and the purposes that he has given us. And I hope that today, if you feel like you're at a dead end, you're banging your head against the wall, you see no way forward, take courage to know that God is working ahead of us. He's on the other side, already beginning to do the thing that you can't do for yourself. And he just uses sometimes unlikely people, unlikely situations like Rahab. Well, then Joshua gets this report back. Well, that's good news. That's great news. So now, how do I go ahead now? What do we need to do? And he could just rush on. He could make out his plan. He could just take off, but he doesn't. Here's what he does. Let's look at this verse here. Early the next morning, and I love that. Joshua doesn't hesitate. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite leaders went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. So now comes the instruction. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to cross the Jordan. I mean, we don't necessarily know how it's all going to happen. We're going to come right to the edge, but here's, here's what you need to do. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. 
If you have that in your Bibles or somewhere circle that, since you have never traveled this way before, follow them, for they will guide you. See, when you're pursuing a dream, a vision, you haven't been there before. You're going into uncharted territories. God is calling you somewhere. He's gone that way. He's been that way before. So how do you go there? And the instruction is follow the priests who are carrying the ark. Well, the ark was this, this giant, ornate, golden box that contained sacred articles like the, the Ten Commandments, and, and there was these long bars, and the priests would carry them, and this place was, this was revered. It was the presence of God among the people. And here, as you think about Joshua fighting, uh, facing what's on the other side, 31 kings, this sounds like a military conquest. Why are you having the priests and the ark lead the way? Shouldn't your generals and your soldiers and your infantry, shouldn't they lead? But in this case... And here God's saying, and Joshua's telling the people, let the ark lead. Let the presence of God lead the way. You haven't been here this way before. Let God begin to work ahead of you and lead the way. And as you think about the dreams and, 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 and visions and, and passions that God has placed inside of you, where are you in relation to God in those dreams? Are you running so far ahead that you're like, I got this. And it's like Joshua just saying, I got this, and he runs, and he's wading through the river, and he's swimming to the other side, and there he is alone on the other side. Is he going to receive the promised land? No. He waits, and, and some of us are so far ahead of God that we've just been doing it our own. It doesn't even matter what God is prompting us and telling us in our spirit. We're not even listening. We've got it figured out, and we're running into problems and challenges, and we wonder why. Others of us are so far back from God that we've just kind of given up. God, just make it happen. I'm tired. I'm done. I've given up. I'm not listening. I, we're just finished. And this reminder of Joshua is get in proximity. Get close. Where is God leading? Listen to him and, and, and follow his lead through this. And that leads right into this next verse here. In Joshua 3, verse 5, it says, Purify yourselves, Joshua says, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. There's this sense that this isn't just a military battle, just a physical thing. This is a spiritual thing. Purify yourself. Get ready. God wants to do something great among you. And some of you need to know that tomorrow and the next day ahead of you, God wants to do something amazing. That's his responsibility. If he's called you to it, that's his responsibility. But our responsibility is to prepare for this battle, prepare for what God has, purifying ourselves, getting ready for what God has before us. And so the people, they're camped here on the edge of the river. You know, they know tomorrow God's going to do something, but they've got to be thinking, what? How? What will he do? Anticipation, hope, but confident that God is leading them. So they come right up to the edge, and then is the day. Then is the day, and this is where it's so powerful. He says, today you will know, right, that the living God is among you. I think some of us have to be reminded today, God is among you. The living God knows your situation. He knows what you're facing, and he is there with you. But we need to let him lead the way. And so they, they, they start, and basically the instruction is given, the priests need to go first. And as they walk to the edge of this overflooded river, all of a sudden the water's back up, upstream, and the rest of them flow down, downstream. And they begin and they march into the middle of the river. And here's what it says in Joshua 3.17. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed them by. They waited there until everyone had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. And I think that contrast between the dry ground and a raging river. Dry ground opening up ahead of them and the raging river. The path opened up. God made a way. 
And they weren't struggling. They weren't being dragged through and stuck in mud and figuring out drowning in the waters. They had a dry path. Only God. And then God gives Joshua this instruction, and Joshua passes this on. He says, select 12 people from each of the, one person from each of the tribes. Then he tells them this. He said, you will take stones. Well, before he tells them, I said, take stones out of the middle of the riverbed. So right out of the middle of their deepest problem, the biggest challenge, they go back in. And you can see these guys. They're picking up these big boulders, and they're carrying them out. These were the ones that were found in the middle of the Jordan River. They take them out to the side that they had just crossed, and they build a memorial. And it says this, we will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean to you? Then you can tell them. When we experience the visions and the hopes and the dreams that God has for us, when we overcome obstacles, we push through them through God's guidance and grace, and he makes up an impossible path before us, we have stories to tell. We have memorials and altars that we can say, children, this is what God does. And not only to remind children, but to remind ourselves when times get tough. There's a memorial that is in, uh, in Santan Valley. It's a memorial that reminds me of this story and God's faithfulness. And it's actually a building. It was uh, years ago, my wife and I, uh, in about 10 years ago, we moved from the Midwest to, to start a church in Santan Valley. Didn't even have a name at the time. Some of you guys don't even know where that is. It's in the far southeast valley, about 40 minutes from here. And things were booming, and we moved out, and, and we wanted to start a church and start meeting people. We met in a school and, and, and began to hold uh, services. And the church you know, took root and began to grow. And we just realized, you know, meeting in a school and whatnot, we have no offices. We have no place for our students and, and children, no midweek capabilities for groups to meet. If we could have some land, if we could have a place, that would be a tremendous dream and vision. I remember driving down Hunt Highway. I don't know if you've ever been down that way near a place called Santan Flat. There's a, a little house, and there were hardly anything, weren't very many things available on the, uh, in that whole stretch for commercial stuff. And, and there was this house, and it sat kind of on an angle, had a little parking lot. I just thought, man, this, this would be perfect for our little church. As we're just starting, as we're getting going, this, this parcel, you know, one and a half acres or so and, and a small house would be a great starting point. And so it went for sale. And so we went up and I found out how much it was. It was $350,000. Now, when you're a little church, that seems like an insurmountable amount of money. You're thinking, how, I mean, we're still raising money. We're still, you know, trying to figure out how to make ends meet. $350,000 and we just talked about it and we realized we just, it's just not possible for us. We're just too young and too small of a church. A couple years later, you know, after some other businesses had been in that place, uh, you know, I kept watching it, kept watching it. And I remember one day driving in the van with our kids and, and my wife and drive past it and I noticed the door was open and it looked like it was for sale. And so I turned the van around and I drive back and the owner is there. And I asked him, I said, are you, sell, you know, are you selling this place? He said, well, actually, it's going to go into foreclosure, and so uh, I'm not even going to try to sell it. I was like, no, 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 time out. <laughs> Can we make like a short sale offer? Can we you know, do something to, to get this? Maybe this is our chance. And he was still wanting like 250000 for it, which was still way more than we had, but maybe we could make a short sale offer. So um, we tried to raise the money, tried to do what we could, but the window just closed on us. And, and, we, and he just said, no, we're, we're just not going to mess with it anymore. But something in me and, and, and in our leaders, we thought, let's just keep pursuing it. Let's raise the money. Let's see what we need to do. Let's try to find a lender, which is hard to do as a small church and young church. And we did. We found a lender and said, if you can raise just 25% of the amount you want to borrow, uh, we can help make something like this happen. And so we rallied the church and different people and raised money, and we, we got that, that, that quarter, that 25% ready. And it was like, now is our chance. After months of prayer walking and, and doing everything we can to share this vision, it was a Sunday, and I shared with the church, we hit our goal. 
I'm going to make an offer this next week. Let's pray. It hasn't gone to foreclosure yet. We still have a chance. So on Monday, I call the realtor, and the realtor uh, says, all right, let's make the offer, and we write up the offer, and I don't remember if it was maybe 130000 or so, and, uh, and we're all, I'm hopeful. And immediately or very shortly thereafter, I hear, no, the owner's not even willing to entertain that. And we thought, well, okay, that's crazy. Like, why would he let it go into foreclosure? Let's make him a higher offer. Maybe that helps. So we bumped up the offer still. He said, no, I'm, I just, I'm done with it, and it's going to run its course, whatever it does. Whoever you know, takes it and whatever corporations may bid on it and wherever it gets swallowed up, um, it's gone. So I remember sitting there on that Wednesday following that great Sunday where we reached our goal, and I sat on the back porch at our house, and I just thought, it's over. It's done. We've done everything we can. This is not crossable. I guess it wasn't meant to be that we would have this, this piece of land. And I get a call, literally, while I was sitting there, I get a call from our realtor. And she said, you'll never believe this, but the house is going up for public auction in 48 hours on the courthouse steps in Pinal County for $86,135. I was like, what? <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm going from the dumps to like, I'm just going, well, well, what are you doing in an auction? How do you do that? How do you handle that? What, what do I need to know? And, and she's like, well, you have to be able to, to, to have 100% of it in cash. I'm like, well, we don't have that kind of cash. How am I going to get that in 48 hours? I've never bid on these things. And so I, I went to, to school in 48 hours. I learned everything I could about that and, and, and found ways to, to raise the cash that short term. And, and so I showed up on the courthouse steps on, uh, on that Friday morning. And literally, it's on the courthouse steps. And people gather around an auctioneer uh, who has different properties listed. And as he calls up a property, different investors and individuals start bidding on it. And it's literally like, like you'd see maybe like on TV, like Storage Wars or some kind of auction. And so um, I'm sitting there and I'm watching these guys on other properties bid each other up. And I'm thinking, oh man, like I don't know how high it's going to go. And I really want this property. Like what are we prepared to bid on this thing? Um, and so the day goes and house after house and these, these people are just, just going you know, back and forth. And then after lunch, um, our house still hasn't come up, the property. And, uh, and a guy walks up to me, and he says, hey, what, um, he's kind of wondering why I'm standing around. What house are you bidding on? What are you, which one property are you interested in? And I said, the one on Trico Road. And he goes, uh, and he said, uh, oh. And he walked away, and I was like, ah, wait a second. I said, which one are you uh, interested in? And he goes, yeah, I've got two investors that also want that property. And just on a whim, I said, well, don't bid against us. We're a church. He's got to pull the God card here. And you know what he said? He goes, oh, man, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> It was awesome. And people around were, were laughing and thought that was funny. And, and so I texted my wife, and I'm like, you need to be praying. Because there's other people that are interested in the property. That was like a letdown for me. I was like, I was hoping you know, maybe we would be the only ones. And, uh, and so a couple minutes later, the guy walks back, and he says, hey, I got one of the other investors to drop. I was like, wow. Keep praying, hon. You're doing something. That's pretty awesome. You're, you're, you're on this. And, uh, and then he comes back a few more minutes later, and the afternoon's going, and, and uh, he hands me a phone with a phone number, and he says, call this number. I said, who is it? He said, well, it's the other investor. I'm like, okay. So I cold call this guy I've never met before, start telling him, like, well, we're interested in this property, and, and we're at church, and we've been praying for this, and we'd like to do this, that, and the other. And then he said, he said from one Christian man to another, um, if that's what you want to do with it, then I'm going to back out of, of the bidding. And I was like, keep praying, hon. I mean, this is, you know, this is great, but I, still, I don't know who else is interested and who you know, wants this property. And, and, and how, the afternoon's wearing along, and finally I hear that the house that, that, um, that, that we're looking at was going to come up for auction, and it was the last house of the day. So there weren't going to be any others, so the auctioneer said, last house of the day, uh, trick a road, and, um, and we're going to start the bidding here in just a moment. And as this is happening, my heart's pounding. And I look around, and the guy that had these two investors, you know, he's packing up because he's done. There's no other houses. He wasn't going to bid on this one. So I'm looking around like, who else? And one by one, they start packing up. 
one by one. They started packing up. There weren't many left at the end of the day. And when the bidding started, he said, I'm going to open bid at $86,135. Do I have a bid? I looked around. There's nobody else there. And all of the schooling I've had in these 48 hours taught me to say plus one, <laughs> plus one dollar more, you know, on, on that opening bid. And he said, going once, going twice, crickets, tumbleweed, <laughs> I mean, desolate, sold to, <laughs> to one community church. And so we got the property for $86,136 on that day. And it's an amazing, amazing story of how God just parted those waters. I felt like I was floating and drifting. The next day, I went and we, we had the cash that we had, and I went to, to the trustees that, that owned it and, and signed the papers, and they gave me the key on that Saturday. And, the next, and, and that very day, I was we had possession. We owned it outright. And so the very next Sunday, I got to get up in front of the church. Not only did, you know, I couldn't even explain half of that stuff that happened that week so fast. I got to stand up in front of the church. Remember last Sunday when we were praying about what might be possible? Well, you'll never believe it, but we already own it outright. It's ours. And God has used that. That is the place where the church continues to meet, and they've renovated it. And, and it's just been a place that reminds me that when we do our part, and we just trust God, but, but God can do things well beyond what we ever imagined that he can make a dry path when it looks like there's just a Jordan River and there's just no way through it. When we've given up, when we don't think there's hope, God can make a way. As the band comes up, I just uh, want us to, to think about yourself and the dreams and the visions that you have. Have you given up? Have you thought it was impossible? Have you thought, well, that was way back when I was younger. Well, maybe God wants to stir a new dream in you. He wants to revive that and to tell you it can be different. It can change. Let God lead the way. He's working ahead of you. Trust him to bring about what he wants to accomplish. And this place of rest, this promised land, that was promised to the Israelites that Joshua led them into, well, you know what Joshua means? It means the Lord saves. And Joshua is a, is a Hebrew word. Well, in the New Testament, you know what the, you know what the uh, Greek word for Joshua is? It's Jesus. Jesus, the Lord saves. Jesus, who wants to lead us to a place of rest. Jesus, who wants to lead us to the places where we need to trust him and to walk with him and to experience the things in life that he has for us. He can lead us to that place of rest. He can bring us to a place of fulfillment. And I just hope that in a place like this, that God is stirring visions and hopes and dreams that are way bigger than the American dream for what God has for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for your, your word and your story. We take great courage from Joshua's courage. We take great hope for the way that you've parted waters. And God, for us today, if there are some here today who have given up on a hope or a dream, God, would you just stir that again? Would you just, just ignite a fuse that maybe has, has burned out? God, those that are in the midst of it that feel like there's just no way forward, remind them, God, that you are at work ahead of them to bring about your purpose. And Father, where courage is needed to step out, to trust for you to lead the way, would you give that courage today? Restore in us the hope and the dreams of your promise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.